Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. going to be in part two of our new series, Happy Days. Uh, If you were here or if you got the chance to watch it, Happy Days is all about the early church. It's all about um, the time that we uh, learn about what it was like uh, to be a disciple, what it was like to start new and start fresh, this new faith that they all had and received. They all encountered Jesus in some way and to see what that transpired and what that gave the world. It was such a beautiful thing. And so this is uh, part two, and we're gonna be going to the book of Acts chapter eight. Uh, We have already covered information going from chapters one through seven. I'm so sorry, City Kids is dismissed. (laughs) I haven't been here in a month. (laughs) City Kids is dismissed. All you kids, get out of here. There you go, how about that? Sorry about that. Yeah. Got a mental, mental fog there. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we already covered information, chapters one through seven. Um, so now we're going to be going chapters eight through 28. Yeah. Y'all ready? <laughs> Don't worry. We're not going to read all of it. Some of y'all got your eyes real big. I'm hungry, man. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Philip. Okay. Philip was the first person to take the gospel beyond Jerusalem. This is an important person to know, okay? He actually was initially in charge of the food distribution. I don't know if y'all have read your Bible lately, but in the book of Acts, there were so many people that were hungry, okay? Much like today, times really don't change, okay? Uh, Much like today, there were so many people that were hungry that the church, the new church that was established was actually providing food for the community. Uh, And they got so busy with it that they actually got annoyed, believe it or not. And so some of the apostles came together and they were like, look, we need to have someone over this because our job is to teach and preach and we're getting sidetracked by this. People need to eat, but we need to find someone that will run it. We need to find someone that'll be in charge of it because we need to preach and we need to figure out how to get this message out. And so they appointed Philip and Philip was in charge of the food distribution. Philip was uh, what Lydia does on Thursdays. You know, he he was in charge and what Rebecca used to do, right? So they were in charge of the food distribution, making sure people got their food every day, right? While the apostles were figuring out how to get this message to the world. But unbeknownst to them, Philip would be the first one to get out of the city and preach. He would be the first one to go to the rest of the world. And you want to know what forced him out? While he was doing the food distribution, he started getting persecuted. He started getting threatened. And so it forced him to leave Jerusalem. And because he left Jerusalem, this happened. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. This is awesome. 
everything about this is so just epic. Everybody say epic. There we go. This is an epic story. Said, verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So, so far, we already have an angel talking to Philip. We already have this young man reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit of God is telling Philip to go and talk to them in this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken. Does this prophet say this? about himself or someone else. See, this man did not know what Isaiah was talking about. He was trying to understand who is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about somebody else? Is he talking about himself? But he knows he's describing someone who gave their life for their friends. He knows he's describing someone who went to be killed and didn't say a word. He knows he's describing someone, but he doesn't know who he's describing. And verse 35 says, then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture he told him, the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Cornelius and other Gentiles being filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, this is such a powerful story. Can you imagine just going about your business, walking down the road, and then God says, hey, go to that car over there. I need you to talk to them. And then you find out that they're reading the Bible and they're going, what does this mean? And then God uses you to tell them what it means and who he's talking about. That's exactly what happened. Philip had to explain, this man is Jesus, the one who just got crucified and resurrected and rose again on the third day. He explained the whole salvation message and how he must be baptized and he must be saved and must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that inspired this young man to say, what stops me from doing it now? The most 
fun part of this story is the fact that when it was over, the Bible says that the spirit took Philip. He just took him. He disappeared, y'all. Literally, in every sense of the word. There is no other way around it. Study it, study it, study it. You will find that the Holy Spirit literally just took him from here and placed him in another city like that. The other city was over 40 miles away. And he just found himself there. And immediately he starts preaching. This is weird, right? I mean, what if I just said, okay, God, take me. You know, like I'm waiting, like take me. But see, Philip wasn't waiting for that. I believe the reason this happened to Philip is that he was simply so obedient. He was simply listening to the voice of God so clearly that God said, hey, I can use somebody like that. Let me just save some time. Let me drop him over here. You see, there's something to be said about a person whose only mission in life is to preach the gospel. And because his only mission in life was to preach the gospel and he was obedient in doing so, God decided to do some miraculous things through Philip. This is a question for us. When's the last time that God did something miraculous through you? Has he ever done anything miraculous through you? See, Philip was a food distribution guy. He wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the leaders. He was the helping hand. He wasn't the guy with the microphone, but he was obedient. And that's all it takes. I don't know about you, but I want God to use me greatly for my whole life. And I realize that I have to be obedient. There is no shortcut. Um, Malachi, we bought him, uh, or actually he bought it with his own money, uh, Rubik's Cube. He saw that thing on Netflix where these dudes are solving the Rubik's Cube with one hand under five seconds. It's ridiculous. I mean, these dudes are just like, <laughs> done. And there's like world competitions over this thing. And they got champions and regionals and all this stuff. And I'm like, the Rubik's Cube? Really? And Malachi's all captivated. So he said, Dad, I want to go buy a Rubik's Cube. I said, you got money? He said, yeah. I said, all right, let's go to Walmart. So we go to Walmart. We get him a Rubik's Cube. And he's sitting there. And he's trying to, he's like, I don't understand this. I'm like, did it come with instructions? He said, no. I said, I guess you just got to figure it out then. He's like, can we YouTube it? Okay, fine. So I YouTube the video. We tried it. Didn't work. Try another video. Okay. So I tried another video. He messed with it. Didn't work. And I got to thinking. I'm like, you're going to spend all your day trying to hack the Rubik's Cube from somebody on YouTube who's giving you the shortcut. No. No. No, no. You're going to figure this out. There are no shortcuts in life. You're going to figure this out. And I used it as a, 
time to teach him about perseverance and fighting through and keeping going, not giving up, not just relying on YouTube to teach you everything. I say, you got to learn to push through, to figure it out and understand that there are no shortcuts if you truly want to learn something. And I think sometimes we come into, into the kingdom, right? We come into church and we are so excited about all God has to offer that we want the shortcuts to everything in life now. Like somehow we're entitled to the shortcuts because we're Christians. It's actually quite the opposite. We're entitled to go sacrifice. We're entitled to go lay down our life. We're entitled to go give. We're entitled to serve and we're entitled to love without expecting anything in return. We are not entitled to shortcuts. And if you want to grow a relationship deeper with God, there are no shortcuts. Philip was so obedient and so willing that God said, dude, I'm just going to pull you here and throw you over there because I need some more people just like you. So I always like to show like how to be, how not to be. So let's read Acts chapter eight, verse nine. Y'all follow me this morning. We're going to talk about Simon. Anybody ever heard of the phrase uh, simony or simony? Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, we're going to talk about that this morning. So Acts chapter eight, verse nine, it's about Simon the magician or Simon the sorcerer. It says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw, understand this, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. 
Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So the idea of simony or simony comes from this story. It literally means the buying or selling of church office or privilege. This actually became a practice in the church where people would pay their way to leadership in the church. And the ones in charge were gladly to take that bribe. It's a bad deal. Peter rebuked it. He realized that this dude wanted the shortcut. He said, oh, I can just pay and get that kind of power. No, that's not how this works. You've got to be obedient. You've got to serve God. So Simon's story, his brief story is a reminder that accepting the gospel means giving power over your life to the Lord not using the Lord to get power for your own benefit. That's what this story should remind you of. That when you give your life to Christ, when you accept God, you're not doing it to get, you're doing it to give. You're doing it to give away, to serve, to love. Because if you think you come to God so that you could take in and receive and get all you can and fill yourself up with all that this world has to offer, man, that is the wrong thinking. You get the best gift. You get salvation. You get Jesus. The rest, that's all you need. The rest is you being obedient enough to give your life over to the Lord. Somebody say amen this morning. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Haven't said that in a month. It feels good. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. I love this one, man. I love this one. And it's, this opens up a can of worms, so hold on tight. Y'all ready? Y'all ain't ready. High five your neighbor time and say, you ready? Come on, do it, do it. You ready? Come on, air five, air five. I got you, I got you. Some of y'all need to practice your aim. That's horrible. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear. Not all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the appointed one by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter is just preaching away, man. He's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching. And in the middle of him preaching, verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, this, this literally interrupted him. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit interrupted Peter's message. Peter's talking, blah, 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 blah. And Holy Spirit comes in and starts doing what he wants. Verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, this is a very, very interesting scripture right here. You want to know why? Peter is a Jew. We kind of highlighted this last week, but Peter is a Jew. And the Jewish tradition, they did not welcome anyone in their home. They did not allow anyone in their temple that was not Jewish, that was not a part of God's family. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he starts crushing all those mentalities and all those things, that's what got him killed, by the way. And so because of Jesus and now living and dwelling in Peter and Paul and all these dudes, right, they're preaching the same message and they're saying God shows no partiality. Everyone is equal. He loves everyone. No one is excluded. Everyone should come to the kingdom. Everyone should be saved. Why are you still not allowing Gentiles and Gentiles just means non-Jew. Why are you still not allowing the Gentiles to be a part of everything that's going on? And he's preaching and preaching and preaching. And then the Holy Spirit interrupts and does something amazing in front of them because up to this point, only Jewish people had received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit decided to demonstrate everything Peter was saying. He said, oh, let me just interrupt real quick and let me let my spirit fall on all these non-Jewish people and tell them, hey, this whole division thing is over. This whole separate thing is over. You're not better than them. They're not better than you. I'm going to give them my spirit just like I gave you my spirit. And so Peter's like, whoa, the Holy Spirit just fell on these Gentiles. Now we got to get them baptized. Does anybody have any objection to getting them baptized? And they realized, how can they have the Holy Spirit too? I thought we were special. That's what they're saying. That is literally what they're saying. That's literally what they're thinking. This is the conflict that's going on in the church as soon as they start preaching. The Jews said, oh, great, we got the Messiah. We got Jesus, those who believed in him. But then they still didn't accept the outsiders. He's like, no, you don't get it. Jesus destroyed all that stuff. He destroyed all those divisions. You know what this is called? There's an actual phrase. There's an actual name. You know how there's like arachnophobia, uh, uh, phobias of this, phobias of that. Uh, there's no such thing as tacophobia, right? I think there's, no, I don't have that. I don't have that. This is called xenophobia. Anybody ever heard this term before? Xenophobia. Xenophobia is the unfounded fear of strangers or foreigners, and it has no place in the kingdom of God. 
It's the unfounded fear of strangers or foreigners. If you're a stranger, I love you. If you're a foreigner, I love you. Because you're God's child. This idea that outsiders don't belong doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. This is the reason why there's white churches and black churches. This is the reason why there's Spanish churches and then there's Indian churches and then there's Chinese churches. It's simple because we're normal and we can communicate and relate and all that stuff. But it's beautiful when you see diversity. You know why? Because there's no division amongst us. We serve the same God. We worship the same God, right? And so there should be no fear that someone is different from me. There should be no fear that someone looks different from me. I don't know what I am, okay? Some people think I'm Mexican. Some people think I got a little, you know, African-American mixed in there. Some people think I got a little Indian mixed in there. You know what I think I got? Jesus. My mom went and did her study on Ancestry.com, <laughs> we're like all these different percentages of all these different things. I said, I told you, we're just, you know, we're mutts. You know, that's what we are. I like, I knew exactly what we were. We're just everything, you know? That's why we're so awesome. She's got it all, got the mixture. My wife, on the other hand, she Irish. They watch out, they get crazy. You don't even know. I don't know Cheryl. Y'all don't know Cheryl. But this idea that somehow because you're different from me, you don't belong, doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. And Peter was combating that in the early church. Look, man, this whole issue of racism and division, it is ancient. It is a human heart issue. No policy is going to solve it. No politician is going to solve it. No president. Nobody's going to solve it. It's a human heart issue. The only person that can solve it is Jesus Christ because it existed in the church before it existed in politics. The gospel is for all people. Are you ready for the next can of worms? I know y'all looking tired. Y'all get y'all tired. I, I haven't preached in a month here. I'm ready to go. Y'all okay? Everybody okay? Okay. The gospel is for all people. Here's the thing. Most foreign people already have their own religion. Just imagine with me, if you will, uh, the, you know, a group of foreigners coming from different nations. They already have their own religion. You know how many religions there are in the world? Too many to count. They've lost count. It's ridiculous. And to urge our beliefs onto someone who already has a religion is now today viewed as impolite. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, you, you, you know, they, they already got their faith. You don't need to mess with them. You don't need to preach to them. They, they've already got what they believe in. They've already got their religion. Okay? There's no need to like try and push that on them. Anybody heard this before? Okay? But that is actually the job of every Christian ever. To urge someone to forsake everything they knew and follow Jesus Christ. That is literally the job description of Christians. It is literally the job description of every person that has ever been called to preach. 
to urge people about the truth that there is only one way to heaven, that there is only one way to God, and his name is Jesus. This is the most controversial thing in the world. To tell people the audacity that we would tell them that there is only one way you should worship. That there is only one way to get to heaven. That there is only one way to get to God. Like, oh, we must be the most arrogant people on the planet. No, we just serve the greatest God who's ever lived. Otherwise, why do this? Otherwise, why have a church? We're supposed to just remain polite and not share our faith for sake of political correctness? Are you kidding me? People died for that, to share the message. We're not gonna read it, but in Acts eleven twenty six, there was a church that became pivotal. It was called uh, the city of Antioch. The church at Antioch became one of the most pivotal places in the New Testament. Uh, this is the place where the term Christians were coined. It was actually a derogatory term. <laughs> it actually was meant to be uh, a slander towards believers. Uh, up until this point, it was just you either uh, served Jesus or you were a believer or you, uh, you were part of the way. It was called the way, you know. Uh, there was no like term yet for what this was. And so actually an outsider who hated these people called them Christians and it stuck <laughs> uh, because Christian just means like Christ or a little Christ. That's all it means. And it, because everybody hated Christ, they just called them Christians as like, it was like a bad nickname. And so this was the first place that people, believers were called Christians. And Antioch was significant because Antioch was ethnically diverse. There were so many different people in that church from all different nations speaking all different languages. And it was so awesome because all these people had so many different backgrounds, but they were serving the same God and they were all on the same page. The other significant thing about Antioch was this became the primary missionary church of the earliest Christianity, of earliest Christianity. This was the hub. In fact, all three of Paul's missionary journeys started from Antioch. So here's my next point. What's, what's the point of getting all people together? What's the point of diversity? What's the point of, of, of being inclusive to every, every uh, nation, every tribe and every people group? What is the point of that? The point of welcoming all people from all places is to challenge their beliefs and their structures and ultimately to see those beliefs and structures bow at the presence of Jesus. The point of 
bringing all different people in is not to adopt all of their beliefs and customs. It is to help them surrender those beliefs and customs because beliefs and customs is what killed Jesus. They fought and fought and fought over their customs. They fought and fought and fought over their beliefs and all of it was anti-God and anti-Jesus. They had taken the law that Moses gave them and added hundreds of more laws to them because they could never get it right. And their beliefs and their customs ultimately led to Jesus' death and it ultimately led to Stephen's death who we talked about last week where they stoned him. I'm going to say that one more time. The point of welcoming all people from all places is to challenge their beliefs and structures and ultimately see those beliefs and structures bow at the presence of Jesus. This spurred on Paul to go and plant churches all over the Roman Empire in his first missionary journey. In his second missionary journey, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were gone three years, and they took the gospel to towns and cities that included Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, and Corinth. His journey was almost 3,000 miles, and most of it he did it on foot. During this time, persecution and imprisonment were normal occurrences. Just normal. He would get stoned, pick himself up, go on about his business and preach again. He'd get imprisoned. The angel would break him out of jail. No problem. Let's go. Moving on. It was normal. What was more interesting was when Paul went to Ephesus and he spent three years in Ephesus. We're not going to go there, but in Acts 19.21, we see that the success of the gospel in Ephesus is eventually what provoked this big showdown. You see, because of the preaching of Jesus, turn away from your idols, serve Jesus. Those idols are made by man-made hands and they're man-made by men's hands. Like that's not a real God, right? So you need to serve Jesus, the true and living God. You know what happened? The belief of Christianity started to damage the local economy because the local economy depended heavily on silversmithing because they were making so many idols. So here comes Paul and Silas and Timothy. They start preaching about Jesus, turn away from that, kicking idols out the door, get, get them out of here. And they're breaking all this stuff and no one's going back to those idols. Therefore, no one's buying any more silver. No one can make any idols. It starts damaging the whole local economy. It turned that whole area upside down. How would you like to be blamed for that? What is your economic policy, sir? Uh, destroy it by the hand of God. I think that sounds great, right? I mean, everybody there got upset. They felt that their gods were being disrespected. Oh, how dare they? There was this God called Artemis. And they literally claimed, if you read the scripture in Acts chapter 19, our God Artemis is being robbed of her divine majesty because of your preaching. It became a citywide conflict. How would you like to preach a message 
that destroys the local economy and then you get blamed for everything that's wrong in that city and say, well, it was by the Holy Spirit. Ever thought that talking about Jesus would mess up so much stuff? Yet exactly what was going on. Because of all this, there was a riot and Paul almost lost his life because of this riot. I mean, you think uh, riots are bad now. I mean, these people, they would just show up whole city at one time and just start tearing at people who were against them. It was wild. Paul almost died. They had to pull him out. And then he tried to go back to go preach to them. And his friends were like, no, 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 come back. You can't go there. And they sent him on. And so this actually spurred on Paul's third missionary journey where he had already actually planned to take, but he just went earlier. And during the final stretch of his trip, Paul ended up in chains for four years because he went to Jerusalem and a plot was hatched to capture and kill him. A planned riot. Talk about conspiracy theories. is in the Bible. There was a planned riot, okay? A planned riot forced them to arrest Paul on false charges. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. It's in the Bible. Go read it. Acts chapter 19. It's awesome. Just read it right here. You know, on the toilet and all that's great reading. Because of this, because of this, he was arrested under false charges. They started to beat him. They were flogging him. They were interrogating him. Yet these guys didn't know Paul was a Roman citizen. And if you're a Roman citizen, you get special privileges. You're not supposed to be flogged. You're just supposed to be questioned, but not flogged. And they didn't know this. And when they found out he was a Roman citizen, they all freaked out. They said, can we pay you something? Because they said, it costs us a lot of money to get our citizenship. Because these dudes weren't born in Rome, but they could pay to become a citizen of Rome. And Paul was like, no, 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 I was born here. And they were like, oh, and they backed away. They stopped touching him. They stopped attacking him because he started saying, hey, I am a Roman citizen. It's kind of like, uh, you know, being underneath the Espionage Act in, in America. If you are an American citizen, you should have certain rights unless they put certain labels on you. And so they were trying to put these labels on him and they couldn't. <laughs> Paul literally had to go into protective custody of the Roman government. Who would have thought that serving Jesus meant destroying economies, turning cities upside down, riots, protective custody, jail, stoning, flogging, who would have thought? You know, when we think of coming to Jesus, when we're, you know, taught as a kid, right? Everything is like, great. You know, it's Noah's Ark and rainbows. It's awesome. You grow up a little bit and you find out that there's so much conflict and you need to figure out what side you're on. You need to figure out this day who you will serve. What's the point of everything I'm talking about? Why am I telling you all this stuff? Yeah, these are happy days. Happy. Here's the point. 
there's something for everyone to do in the kingdom of God. We are all called to take part in the spread of the message of Jesus Christ. Too many Christians are no-shows. When it comes to actually responding to the call of God, too many Christians are no-shows. You know why? Send. In our culture, materialism, the fast pace of life, the pursuit of career over everything, all of that can tempt a believer to shun their God-mandated calling and responsibility for global evangelization. We are actually called to globally evangelize. And a lot of times we trade in our calling for our career or our calling for our comfort or our calling for our culture. See how I did that? The three C's, that's called alliteration. I learned that in Bible college. Too many Christians become syncretists. Have you ever heard of this term, syncretist? I'm throwing a lot at you this morning because I'm excited. Too many Christians become syncretists. A syncretist is someone that combines their elements of their Christian life with the convictions of the world. And the convictions of the world are bent on human priorities, not divine ones. I'm gonna say that again, because that is an ouch moment. Too many Christians become syncretists where they combine elements of Christian faith with the convictions of this world that are bent on human priorities and not divine priorities. Send. See, every message, she's just sending it to, to Facebook. Another quote, boom. Keep doing it. Because of this, people think that only leaders are called to preach and minister. Because of this idea that we just combined a little Jesus with a little bit of our lifestyle and just, you know, it's all good. People begin to think that only people with microphones should be preaching. No, 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 no. You're the preachers. You're the preachers. You're the ministers. I took a whole class for a semester that was called Every Member a Minister. Because every person in the church is a minister. Because you're supposed to share the gospel. Philip was the guy in charge of the food distribution. She's preaching my message this morning. She's excited too. She said, yes, sir. All right. I'm almost there. One more point here. The most perpetuating result giver of Paul's ministry, and what I mean by that 
was the one that provided the most results. Perpetuating means the one that provided the most results. The most perpetuating result giver of Paul's ministry while he was alive wasn't his charm. It was his chains. Paul did more in chains than most people do in their lifetime. He did more. I mean, he was the original two chains, you know? He did more. Some of y'all, <laughs> y'all don't even know. <laughs> he did more in shackles than most people do in a lifetime of sitting in a chair at church. Because he was compelled to get up and go and forsake everything for the sake of the gospel. The most perpetuating result of Jesus's ministry while he was alive wasn't his charm, it was his cross. What makes us think we can do it differently? What makes us think that somehow we're better than Christ or somehow we're better than Paul that if we preach and it gets a little dicey, we should just back off a little bit? Here they are <laughs> causing riots destroying economies for what for just declaring the truth worship didn't come back up I have a final scripture final story Last week, we closed on the story of Stephen and his stoning. The man who made sure that that happened was Saul. The Bible talks about, if you read that story in its length, the Bible talks about when Stephen was getting stoned, Saul was standing by giving his approval and holding everyone's coats that were out there stoning Stephen. Saul had a mandate from the chief priest of the Jewish religion to go and make sure that he squashed and killed anyone preaching about Jesus Christ. Saul's job was to police these so-called Christians. His job was to tell everyone, make sure that if they don't comply, they die. That was Saul. And so Saul is standing there and he's holding their coats and he's saying, go on, kill him. But he witnessed it too. He saw Stephen's face. He saw him look up at God and He's like, wait a minute, what just happened? 
what makes Paul? Because that's what happened. Saul becomes Paul. He has, a, he has an encounter with Jesus. He has a conversion. I'm gonna read it in a second. But what makes a man convert? From being the one that was to kill all these people to then go on and preach about this same Jesus, to go on three missionary journeys, to go and get captive and, and, and be in chains. He ultimately left this life of persecuting Christians and he became one and he became persecuted for Jesus' sake. What makes a man convert to that? Knowing that the leaders of the day were out to kill them all. Why change sides? What would do that to someone? Well, let's read it in Acts 9 verse 1, the conversion of Saul. It says, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that term again, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was going up to round them up. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Everybody say light. Now say that again, light. A light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. He said, you don't got a choice anymore. You're gonna be told what you're gonna do next. He said, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to my people? The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and all those his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And as he's seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So this dude is arguing with God. Why do you want me to go over there? Why do you want me to go lay hands on this guy? He, he, he hates you. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord 
Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. What drives a man to change his ways? You see, there are many people who might feel or think, I can never change. I can never get out of this rut. I can never get out of this situation. I can never get rid of this sin. I can never get rid of this monkey off my back. I can never get free of this and get free of that. But what drives a man to shed away this hate for other people? Only the presence of Jesus. I'm telling you this morning, there's only one thing that can change a person. There's only one thing that can rescue a person. There's only one thing that can stop someone from going the wrong direction. And it's the light. It's the light of Jesus Christ. It's the light that interrupts your path on the road that you're going on about your life. You see, if you thought Jesus was gonna come and make everything nice and perfect for you, no, 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 no. He's saying, I'm gonna show him how much he must suffer for my sake. There's a lot of people suffering <laughs> this past week, a lot of people suffering and hurting and seemingly for no purpose. And it was horrible. But when you suffer for a purpose, when you suffer for a reason, when you suffer for a cause, it's beautiful. For most people this past week, suffering was pointless for no reason, it's just pointless. But when you live a life sacrificed to God and you begin to suffer because you made that choice, it's beautiful, it's okay, it's godly. The only thing that can help you from heading in the wrong direction is the light. The only thing that can help you from heading in the wrong direction is Christ himself. Let's stand. Father, I thank you. I thank you that right here, right now is an opportunity 
to step into the light. Right here, right now is an opportunity to let you invade our lives. Lord, I thank you right now for an encounter with you that changes the course of our direction that changes the course of our life. I thank you, Lord, that regardless of what may happen in the past, you can change and fix anything and anyone. There is nothing off limits in your kingdom, God. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.